Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello everyone, and welcome back to episode 20 of Testers Island Discs, where today my special guest is Mark Winteringham. Now, Mark is someone who doesn't do things by halves. When he has an idea, he likes to see it through to the nth degree, to its natural conclusion. As an example, he is the co-founder of the Software Testing Clinic with Dan Ashby, which organizes mentoring sessions for testers around the world. He's also been working recently with Richard Bradshaw to define the automation in testing namespace. And if you're a user of the Ministry of Testing Dojo, you've no doubt encountered some of his training material already. He's got a couple of courses up there with a new one on the way very soon. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hello. Oh, it's amazing to be here. I'm so excited. <laughs> you are one of the people who were a very early applicant. We're talking like the middle of last year. I um... The backlog is being groomed as we speak. Uh, but it's a delight to get you here uh, finally. I'm no doubt when you applied, it was nowhere near as hot as it is right now. Oh my God, it's so hot in here. Yes, it's slowly <laughs> melting on the hottest day of the year so far. Yeah, we've had some off-air discussion. We both have very nice workspaces where you have fans and windows and brilliant things. But when you're recording a podcast, you can't really afford to have any of that in the background. So we're just in a, both in very humid rooms right now. I yes, think. With, with very good pro audio equipment, but no air conditioning whatsoever. <laughs> Mind you, that's probably nowhere near as uncomfortable as the last time we podcasted together, which was on screen testing. You were our special guest for the episode about the film Swordfish. Thank you, yes. Mark. That was so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It balanced out watching the film for yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it was uh, <laughs> it was fair bonkers. But <laughs> as well as being an experienced podcaster, you're actually an experienced musician as well. You're one of our first guests to actually have some music published in the wild. What uh, guises do you go under? Uh, so I go under a couple biases and kind of an old band that I was in that I wanted to see sort of finished, which was called The Wub, which was sort of sci-fi based. So uh, yeah, the biases stuff is kind of post-rock, whereas The Wub is more sort of progressive metal. And those EPs are available on Bandcamp. I'll put some links in the show notes. In terms of the inspirations for the music you create, I mean, you mentioned post-rock. Are the the inspirations in the music you create, are they the same as the actual music you like to listen to? Yeah, yeah. I think for a long time, I really struggled actually as a musician because I like to listen to sort of, uh, I wouldn't say all genres, but quite a wide range of genres. I've always sort of thought of myself as a bit of a magpie. But trying to sort of compress those all together into one writing style was really difficult. So yeah, I write different types of music for different occasions and different moods and feelings. And those different genres are affected by different people and different artists. And you mentioned moods and feelings. The proceeds from those purchases on Bandcamp are going to the charity Mind. Is there a reason you chose them in particular? Yeah. So a few years back, I was diagnosed with depression and that sort of, you know, I had a lot of support from friends and family to sort of get through that and one of the aspects of which that sort of depression came out was because of my sort of connection to music so I grew up learning music playing music um, I studied music as well it became less of a thing of love and more of a thing of work and the harder that got that meant that I didn't enjoy it as much so I'd actually stopped playing for five years once I sort of started seeking help, I started playing again. So the biases stuff is pretty much the first things that I wrote after that sort of five-year hiatus. And I just, you know, I was, I was proud of the work that I'd done and I wanted to pay it forward. 
So I chose Mind as a as a great charity to help with sort of mental health and mental health awareness. Excellent stuff. It's a great cause and great music, if I say so myself. I'm something of a post-rock person myself. I grew up on bands like Mogwai, uh, and you can certainly hear some of those influences coming through. Yeah, thank you very much. In terms of the checklist of things you want to do as a musician, I mean, creating an album and putting it out there is high on that list, but also you have things like actually touring and taking it on the road. Is that something you ever want to do, or is it more more personal than that for you? It's more personal. I I feel my itch is scratched for touring with the conference circuit. Um, and I actually think that the hotels and the food are probably a bit better than being a touring musician. So no, not really. I, I've thought about every now and then getting some people together to play some of the songs just down a local pub or something like that. But beyond that, it's a case of I write it, I put it out in the world. If people like it, if people react to it, great. But it's become a labor of love again now. It's no longer a sort of revenue stream or something that necessarily defines me as well. But enough about the music that you've created. We're here to celebrate the music that you enjoy of others. You've been allowed to bring five songs onto this fictional Tessa's Desert Island with you. What was the first song that you chose, Mark? So the first song I chose is a representative song of the band that really sort of triggered my passion for music. Um, And though I don't really listen to them anymore because my tastes have changed, the influence they've had on me and actually I could almost trace it back to like how it's actually got me into software testing is massively important to me. So I chose uh, Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis because Noel Gallagher was just a massive influence on me when I was a kid. So I start a revolution from my bed Cause you said the brains I had went to my head Step outside summertime That was Oasis with Don't Look Back in Anger. Now, Mark, I mentioned that you and Dan co-founded the Software Testing Clinic. We've had a a lot of previous guests who are mentors at the various clinics, particularly around the UK. Going back to the very beginning when you came up with the idea of it, I remember some discussions that we had at CAST 2016 in Vancouver, where we were talking about the idea of having a curriculum for testing. The idea of the Software Testing Clinic was already fairly well germinating at that point. But what was your reason for thinking that we need some kind of curriculum? Well, I think at that point that we'd had that conversation, the clinic had been running for about four or five months. Mm. We were were actually still deciding what we did want to teach. And we hadn't actually maybe totally sort of settled on this idea of the curriculum at that point. I think also thinking about curriculum as a word, it's quite tricky because it usually implies sort of a strong amount of structure in the delivery of lessons. So yeah, when we sort of talked about it, I was thinking more about sort of the high level things that we wanted to teach people to help them become great testers straight off the bat. 
I think what it is now that we have is we have sort of these loose guides that we can provide our clinic hosts that they actually then apply their own experiences and their own knowledge to so that they can actually deliver something that's of their own style, which is, I think is a bit more sort of emotive and, you know, creates better connections and helps with people's learning. I think if it all just came from Dan and I, and we were just teaching three people, I think that would become much more problematic. So do we need a curriculum? I, I don't think so, but I think uh, we should definitely be much more aware of how much the industry is changing, how diverse it is, and teach people to be a bit more aware of sort of context and stuff. And that includes not just the students in terms of learning about their context, but also constantly testing our own context, our own knowledge, and changing those things as well as we go. So the clinic will evolve over time. Mm. Do you think that evolution and the fact that it's so hard to pin down what it is that testers need to learn is perhaps one of the reasons why testing is still comparatively untaught on, for example, comp sci courses, that sort of thing? Yeah, I I vaguely remember, I'm really going to probably horribly misquote uh, James Bark now, but I remember back at the rapid software testing course that I did, that he ran, he mentioned something around basically testing is often treated too much like an engineering problem and not a human problem. And my experience of comp sci courses are that they're very biased towards the engineering perspective, which means that testing is seen as an engineering problem. So that's why I think you get shown a lot of stuff where it's just, you know, you just do unit testing and that's covered all of your code and that's it. You know, we're good. We've covered everything. And that is changing though. Uh, So Dan and myself have both been in conversations with universities about the testing industry as a whole and how we could prepare students better for testing. Um, I've been asked to run a clinic session here and there at um, our local university. So yeah, that's kind of my experience of why a lot of testing is not taught because it's hard to teach people to have critical and lateral thinking skills. It's hard to be empathetic towards people teaching that Um, it's hard to sort of do the personal skills parts of testing someone i should mention actually simon Pryor, who runs the uh, ministry of testing Aylesbury meetup and he's been sort of trying to tackle this problem about getting testing into universities and i believe he's spoken a few times on the subject cool and it's something that i'm going to get a chance to experience firsthand myself next month i'm going to an event at Cambridge University, they're doing some kind of internal conference around software testing for actual for higher education students to, to tell them about the realities of the world of testing. I'm really looking forward to actually getting some first-hand insight from, uh, from the people who want to learn. Oh, I'd definitely like to find out more about that. Yeah. Um, there will be a trial run of that talk actually at Southwest Test at the beginning of September. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for anyone who's down in the Southwest. That's hosted by Danny Dainton, friend of the podcast, getting his mention early today. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, yes. Sorry to just to uh, make sure that there's Tester Island Disc Bingo gamers <laughs> out there. Yes. Uh, Postman and uh, Danny Dayton. Thank you. <laughs> now, software testing clinics are primarily run face-to-face in a, a meetup environment. Have you dabbled in taking that online yet? Yes. So this is interesting because it's something that I'm actively exploring with both the face-to-face training that I do and the dojo content I build. I think in the end, it depends on what you're teaching and who you're teaching and how you teach yourself. Personally, I find 
content that has a, a certain amount of structure around it, such as tools or sort of theory with specific standards behind it, lends itself to be better taught online. Whereas, again, the soft skills, the human skills, the lateral and critical thinking, or you know, things that require human interaction, working with teams, I think that sort of stuff works better in person. But it's it's something that I'm working with both Richard Bradshaw and Sarah Deary, the two bosses at uh, Mott, in terms of th- the most effective ways to sort of teach different aspects of testing. And we'll talk a bit more about the format of the software testing clinic and how you've picked and chosen the subjects that you do cover at the moment after we hear about your second song. Yes. So my second song is picked from um, an artist called Devin Townsend. Um, This is one of his projects that he runs, uh, which is the Devin Townsend Project. The track's called Kingdom just because it's quite full on metal, some of the stuff that he does. And I wanted to choose something that could maybe sway a few people into listening to him. I love pretty much everything that Devin's done. Um, His whole body of work is just epic. He's written 25 albums. It's insane. And he's got four more on the way. But not only do I like his music, I like his um, his work ethic and his emotional honesty. Um, and they're a real influence on me as well. He's quite candid about work-life balance. And sometimes I like watching some of the videos that he talks about this sort of stuff as a reminder to not become too obsessed with one thing or another and try and get that balance. Kingdom by Devin Townsend. Now we were talking before that about the software testing clinic and we have spoken about it in previous episodes and we've had quite a lot of insight from facilitators and moderators who run those sessions. I really want to tap you for as much in-depth information about how the overall structure works as I can because there's a there's just you and Dan to work with really. So, so the clinic is currently structured around having seasons and each month is a different kind of episode of this season which is focused on a different topic. How did you go about choosing what the list of topics were that made the cut? Uh, through very many arguments with Dan and telling him, no, we're not doing DevOps. <laughs> <laughs> but like in, in all seriousness, I think some of it was obvious to us from the, from the start. When we sort of kind of started putting the idea together of what clinic would look like, we knew things like talking about what testing is, generally talking about sort of testing requirements. Uh, we definitely wanted to talk about exploratory testing. I think some of the earlier sessions came easier. What was trickier was some of the end ones where we, uh, so so in my mind, there is a point about six months into a season where I feel like we've covered the basics and now we're sort of starting to go into some of maybe the more advanced topics. And they were trickier because there's so much 
to cover and so many different things that we want to go into. So we tried to sort of lightly touch on each one because the thing is, is that when we run a clinic, we only have two and a half hours of actual sort of training or education or you know engagement in there so we can't exhaustively teach them everything um so the idea is more to sort of give people a taster of these things so that they can actually go off and explore these ideas these concepts themselves form their own opinions form their own approaches rather than sort of say this is a distinct this is how you should test and these ideas obviously iterate over time. You you learn uh, by doing effectively. And particularly as the number of clinics out there grows and grows, there are more and more people trying these things, learning what does and doesn't work. With there being so many, though, the clinic being your baby eff- effectively, how do you keep track of what's going on at all the other clinics around the country and around the world and how whether they're staying true to, to what your hopes are? The answer to that is kind of we don't and that's okay. So at the moment, I've taken a step back from running Software Testing Clinic London with um, Dan. And I say Abby Bankser has taken my place, but that's doing a disservice to Abby saying that she's taken my place because she's exceeded beyond that. But I've taken a role where I'm supporting all the hosts and I'm now looking to build an online space for all the hosts to collaborate together to evolve the clinic into a more democratic and collaborative space to improve the whole kind of experience. So again, it's not just the Dan and Mark Roadshow. It's a case of multiple voices working together to constantly revise, constantly change what we're teaching, how we teach, and support one another in terms of giving each other skills and helping out when we get stuck. Um, So the idea being is that we're going into this sort of, this next phase where actually a lot of, trust is being put on the hosts in terms of what they want to do so it's kind of like a like a franchise model like you have your your subway restaurants who aren't all you know they're not all the, the owner of subway doesn't go to every subway and see what they're doing but um, they, they know what they're supposed to be doing because there are yeah. people like you who who explain to them what that is yeah so i was really inspired by emily weber's community of practice talks at agile testing days last year and her one at test bash brighton this year and uh, during her talk, she put me onto a fantastic book called Upside Down Management that was written by the chairman of Timpsons, which is kind of a franchise model-ish. But it talks about how sort of turning management and leadership structures on their head. So people at the top are responding and supporting change that comes from those sort of who are closer to the customers, closer to the users. So they're feeding up. So we're trying to start like to develop a leadership team for the clinic, which includes myself, Dan and Sarah. And we're kind of looking for a fourth person to sort of kind of help us more with the community side of things and the sort of diversity side of things. The leadership team will sort of set the vision, but we'll actually be supporting the hosts and the hosts will actually be telling us how they want to run things and how they want to approach things. So yeah, that feeds into sort of a trust side of things. Um, So we'll give support in the form of lesson plans and exercises. But like I said before, the real value will come from the experience and the passion of the hosts. Mm. And that's important because every clinic is different. So when we started Glasgow up, we noticed that the people that were coming to the clinic in Glasgow were three, four years into testing. Um, So knew quite a lot of the basics so we could actually have more in-depth conversations. Whereas London, because it's a bigger place, there's a lot more people looking for opportunities. We tend to have more junior or people who are completely new to it. 
So yeah, so we're trying to sort of build this new approach to growing the clinic where there's a level of trust between everyone and a level of support that means that we don't necessarily need to be there and make sure that every one of them's run. And that trust and support is obviously there for existing hosts, but also for potential new hosts. So if somebody is interested in setting up a clinic in their local area, obviously they should come and talk to someone like yourself or to Dan, but what sort of groundwork would you suggest they did up front before they reached the point of, I want to set up a clinic? What's sort of the, the due diligence they should do themselves? Well, uh, first off, I should just mention that um, what we're planning to do is actually we're going to hopefully work with Ministry of Testing and develop a pathway on the dojo for budding clinic hosts. So they'll go through that process, through that pathway, through those learnings. Mm -hmm. And once they've come out the end of that, they'll know how to host, how to get started and sort of kind of bring them into the fold so we can support them that way. But that's obviously a ways away down the line. Um, So the key things I kind of sort of tell people who want to be hosts is first of all um we're very keen that it has to be run by two people or maybe three people at times partially this is just to do with sort of sharing the workload but also the fact is that it's really good to have good perspectives mm-hmm. so i'm from a technical sort of testing background i you know we'll talk about automation and testing and that sort of stuff later whereas uh, dan is much more management focused he's he's got much stronger soft skills he's very good with the requirements and stuff so having two people together with different perspectives can really sort of enrich the learning for people and you've also got each other's backs as well while you're up there because it could be quite nerve-wracking to begin with mm-hmm. The other thing as well is that there is a good level of work that's not just talking about testing. You know, you have to market it, you have to find sponsors, you have to set things up. So this, again, this goes back to the trust thing, which is that we trust you to do this work to get this stuff in place and we'll support you, but you do have to do all of the administration stuff on the side as well to to sort of get involved in that way. And then the other thing is, is, you know, is there a community there or do you perceive there to be a community there? even if it's a small one. So, you know, I don't think uh, Brighton would be necessarily annoyed if I said that that's a much smaller group than the other clinics, but they have fairly regular reattending people and that's developing a real strong community in that meetup. And that's equally as good as having 30 or 40 people in a room. Thanks, Mark. That's some really interesting insights into not just the, the current state of the clinic, but the future. And as I said at the top, and not, not to, to expand your ego, but you're one of these people who, when they announce they have all these great ideas, you do tend to deliver on them. So it's great to hear that there's some further support coming in the future for setting up new clinics. I will put some links in the show notes to uh, the routes that are available right now, uh, obviously, and that includes contacts uh, for those who are interested. We'll go on now to talk about your third song. Yeah, so there's a bit of a theme with all of these artists. They're not necessarily my favourite songs, but these are people who um, have a real influence on me and I take their work ethic or their approaches into my personal life and also into my work life. So my third song is actually um, Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap. And I'm a big fan of Imogen Heap, not just because I like her music, but it's how she melds technology with her music. So she's developed these things called Mimu gloves. These gloves that she's developed are insane. They can, as she moves around, the gestures that she makes will affect how the music changes. Um, So she's kind of integrating dance in with the songs that she's singing and stuff. There's tons of videos of her demonstrating this stuff. and It's fantastic. But watching all of that, that kind of got me into messing around with iot so one of my first projects was making a drum glove because i was like i want to make my own mimu glove turns out it's really hard <laughs> but yeah so imogen heap hide and seek 
was Imogen Heap with Hide and Seek. Now to move on to talk about the idea of automation in testing. I remember hearing Richard Bradshaw uttering that as a phrase uh, within a, a talk at TestBash, I believe, before it had kind of been conceptualized. It was just a kind of a, a thing almost. The idea of thinking about automation in testing rather than test automation really struck home with me. But you've now gone about turning this into to what you've deemed a namespace. So what was the path between having some ideas around automation and testing to creating it as a body of work? Well, it kind of goes back to how Richard and I first met. So we have this kind of running joke, or at least I like to tease him that he's constantly spying on me (laughs) because although we've probably worked in slightly different sectors um, and maybe slightly different technologies, um, our careers have been quite similar in terms of the problems that we've faced and how we've tried to solve them. So we both met at Rapid Software Testing. That was when I met Richard first and also met Rosie for the first time as well and heard about this thing called Test Bash. We kind of lost touch after that, but then uh, he started speaking about some of this stuff and he was just talking about automation in general. And I started, uh, so I sort of came onto the sort of conference circuit, so to speak, about a year after him. And I was sort of talking about automation in the same sort of way. And actually he came up to me after one of my first talks and was like, I'm saying the same thing. You and I should talk some more. I'm going to do this AIT talk at Test Bash Brighton. So after I saw that at Test Bash Brighton, I was on board with the definition. It was kind of, I was struggling to sort of understand it in my own mind at that point. And using that term automation in testing really sort of kind of slotted everything in. So I grabbed him pretty much straight after his talk and was like, yeah, I want to work on this more. Um, He was doing a lot of web driver stuff. I was doing a lot of API stuff at the time. So we said, well, we'll try and sort of form something together around that. But from there, we sort of met in various hotel lobbies for a few years um, at different conferences. And from there, we sort of started to form together what AIT meant to us and then how we would sort of deliver it to to everyone else. Hmm. So it's gone from a a, a talk that Richard gave about his beliefs that that you agree with to now being a a full three-day workshop. I shouldn't make assumptions that everyone actually knows what we mean when we talk about automation and testing. Can you briefly outline, I know there's a website out there, which I'll link to, but but what is it? What is automation in testing? So automation in testing is fundamentally talking about automation to support testing rather than replace it. So I like to use the term that automation in testing is a means to augment my testing. 
And by that, I'm constantly in charge of what testing I do and the decisions I make and the maybe the information that I give to my team. But I'm using tools to help me get to certain points quicker or to reveal information that might be tricky to find in a sort of more manual capacity. But we have quite a lot of details about what AIT is on our website as well. We try to put some principles together and sort of give it an actual sort of wording. And when you build these principles and you build up the course material, that obviously means you spend a lot of time laying out your ideas and your beliefs. You define terminology, what you mean and and why you believe it. And you name checked rapid software testing earlier, where obviously Michael Bolton and James Back have gone through and done something very similar with the idea of RST. However, we have a constant challenge in the industry these days where we don't want to be seen as being overly dogmatic. We want to put these ideas out and say, this is what we mean by this. But we have things like the testing versus checking debate, which... I understand the importance of defining the the difference between those words, and there could be circumstances where it's useful to actually be clear what you mean by those. But they're also often used as a stick to beat people with. Yeah. And that's not necessarily to do with the words, that's to do with the person. Uh, Like one of the reasons why I like that we call AIT a namespace is that it gives those conversations room to breathe. So whilst Richard and I deliver the automation and testing course, um, there are, as you've just said, there are others discussing around the topic and how it connects with other testing practices. There are other people that we've seen that we sort of think, well, they're talking about AIT as well, but they're not calling it that, but that's fine. But because we have this namespace, we can share opinions, approaches, definitions, but still allow a space for debate. We're always saying, we, you know, we're encouraging feedback on our future AIT work. We want people to challenge us. You know, we want people to maybe disagree with us as well so that we can put something together that's that's correct. But that said, it is something I am a little bit conflicted about because words can matter at the point of, like, say, learning a concept before they sort of set root in, in someone's mind. So BDD is a good example of this. There is so much misleading information out there on BDD, and that really negatively impacts a lot of projects testing. Like, it, I, I think it's real detriment to a lot of testers. And it's very hard to re-educate someone after the fact without turning it into someone who just turns into no, you're wrong. BDD is this. BDD is that. So it's it's a it's a balance to sort of strike. I mean, with the testing and checking thing, I don't mind which one you call it. I call it checking because, again, it goes back to the augmenting thing. Checks augment my testing, mm-hmm. and they are useful to me. I don't like the term versus inside there because it implies one or the other. But actually, they're one and the well, they're not one and the same. But checking supports my testing. Yeah, just like the clinic itself, automation and testing has come along leaps and bounds in a relatively short space of time. It has its own dedicated website out there now with details on it. Yourself and Richard are running a three-day automation and testing workshop prior to Test Bash Manchester this year. Uh, There are a few tickets left for that still, I believe. I'll link to that in the show notes. Having a body of work such as this that you're able to take on the road uh, is obviously great to allow you to, to get around the world, showcase your ideas, get the message out there. You mentioned when we were talking about your music that you didn't really want to be traveling out there and you know taking your music out there. How how does the being on tour with testing work for you? Do you get homesick? Oh, I'm I'm homesick as soon as I leave the door. It's it's a real sort of inner conflict for me. But, but both AIT and clinic really give me a meaning. Um, I get a real buzz from teaching others and helping them achieve their goals and learn new skills. So yeah, I, whilst you know I have the desire to be at home, I I do like my creature comforts. I like my PlayStation Four and my guitars and my family as well. 
the desire to train is always there and yeah it's always a conflict between the one and the other and that's why sort of i mentioned uh devin townsend because he, he's an artist that's constantly on the road and understands that that is necessary as part of his work and i think gets some satisfaction about it but it's sort of you kind of sort of put yourself into a different mental state but i'm also very fortunate to work with people i consider friends as well um i enjoy immensely working with dan and with richard on these two different projects and i've made so many friends like met you yourself neil in vancouver it's um it's just a great way to meet people and sort of interact with people as well and learn as well learn from others yeah we do have to realize sometimes that we are ridiculously blessed to be able to to travel the world with our work and uh it's it's a burden we we uh we we shoulder <laughs> for us in yes like i said the food and the hotels are much better than what musicians get mm. <laughs> Do you have a conference rider like a musician would have a rider? You don't go to a conference without dot, dot, dot. Uh, tea bags. <laughs> like, it, 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 that's the thing that I crave the most is proper tea while I'm on conferences. To the point I do sometimes bring my own tea with me. <laughs> and we'll have a little bit more insight into how an automation and testing workshop runs after we hear your penultimate song choice. Yes, so for this one, I have chosen The Raven That Refused to Sing by Stephen Wilson, who is sometimes touted as the most famous person you've never heard of. His last album got number three on the charts, but I guarantee quite a lot of the listeners probably have never heard of him. Again, his breadth of work is a huge inspiration, and he really sort of mixes different genres and ideas and concepts and stuff and he's a real storyteller in terms of his songs as well so again it's sort of that influence in terms of stealing ideas from concepts from different places and uh you know repurposing them and using them for your own means and stuff and learning from them so again another big influence on me just because i'm weak You can steal my dreams You can reach inside my head You can put your soul there instead Please come to me Please stay Mark's fourth song choice, Stephen Wilson, The Raven That Refused to Sing. So with automation and testing being a relatively new course concept, many of our listeners won't have been on one of your courses yet. The idea of a course that teaches you how to write automation or produce automation, how is that impacted by students' experiences with different programming languages or, or if they have no language experience at all? Well, AIT is not just about programming. It's a mindset towards understanding your role as a tester and what you do as a tester and how automation can support that. So when we talk about AIT, we talk about giving people the skills to strategize, to create, to use and educate on automation. 
So I think a lot of the automation stuff that is out there is focused too much on the creation and the programming side. And, you know, it is helpful and at times important to have those programming skills, but you can equally be effective with automation by strategizing what you need to help your testing, educate others to build the tools for you, and then use them in your testing. So uh, we've had people that have come to our courses who have no skills in programming and haven't necessarily learned any programming skills afterwards, but they've become much more effective in terms of either managing automators or working with their devs and their other testers. Um, So we talk about a little bit about toolsmiths as well, and this idea that, you know, people can build tools uh, for others, for other individuals. They're opening those sort of opportunities up for themselves and for those teams, and they're not actually doing any language-based stuff. That said, the course is kind of experiential in that we basically provide an application that you have to write a strategy for and try and implement some uh, some automated checks in for. So before, um, before we run a class, we offer introduction courses to Java, C-sharp, and JavaScript. And in the classes, we try and get a sense of people's experiences at the start and then kind of group them together. So everyone has something to bring to the table and learn from others as well. Okay, it's really interesting that one of the things that a student could come away with is an idea of just how to to be a part of the conversation around automation, even if they're not the one who is doing it. One of the terms that people might not necessarily have come across before is the idea of a toolsmith. Yeah, so I'm probably going to get this wrong in terms of who first came up with the name, but Richard kind of put me onto it to begin with. And then I believe it's either, it was either James Barker or Rob Lambert mentioned it. I, I can't quite remember who sort of talked about it, but the, the idea that, um, you know, if you have programming skills, whether you're a developer, um, a tester, or an SDEP that sort of sits between the two, uh, automation engineer, whatever, whatever your role is, is that you can use those skills to create tools that are not just doing uh, like end-to-end web driver checks or API checks or anything like that. You could actually use those skills to develop little scripts that could collate multiple sources of data together, um, use scripts to press a button multiple times just to see what happens. But then you can also do it so to help build dashboards of information for other people in the team. Data management systems, tools to help sort of with reporting and that sort of thing. The point being is that I will sort of say problems first, tools second. So if if you've got a keen eye on what you're doing as a tester and are able to sort of identify patterns within the testing that you're doing, then you can actually see those as opportunities for automation and that could be a time to sort of build a tool or find like a commercial or open source tool to help and toolsmiths can help with that yeah one of the things i always talk about is it's really important to to find the time to create those opportunities for yourself so it is if you notice something you're doing every day that you have the idea that there must be a better way than this that maybe there is a either a pre-existing tool out there or you have you could learn some skills that allowed you to create that tooling that that effectively allows you some free time to work on that because if you can if you can implement that successfully, then you you've saved time in the in the long run. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of skills around it as well that we sort of we, we've noticed that we have to teach with AIT beyond just the how to build the tools, but things like the art of googling and mm-hmm. knowing what the right search terms are to to find the things that you want. And yeah, having conversations and knowing who the right people are to sort of help you get unstuck or point you in the right direction 
there's a wide breadth to the toolsmith role as well. And like you say, the, the benefits can be pretty good. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. We're going to plough straight on towards the conclusion because I get the feeling you've got lots more stuff to talk about that you're doing in terms of courses and stuff. So we'll, we'll save some time for that at the end. First of all, let's clear out the business of your final song choice. Yeah, so my final choice is uh, Red Hands by The Deer Hunter, D-E-A-R Hunter. I just love everything The Deer Hunter have done. So it's straight up just a band that I just adore. Uh, it's basically fronted by a guy called Casey Crescencio. I probably massacred his uh, name. If you ever hear this, Casey, I'm sorry. But he wrote a series of EPs that were brought together as an album called The Color Spectrum that crosses multiple genres. So each color is a different genre. And again, it sort of encourages me to seek out new music, new ideas and concepts and fold them into my own work. That was The Deer Hunter with Red Hands. And that is your final song to come to the Desert Island with you, Mark. You could also bring one book with you to the Desert Island. What was the book that you chose? So in the long tradition of Tester Island's discs of mentioning Danny Dayton, Postman, um, I'm going to cheat and bring a trilogy with me. I'm a Norwich boy, pretty much through and through. So I've chosen Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials, which... I just think it's a fantastic book. It's such a great universe and world or universes and worlds, spoilers, but it's it's so beautifully written. Um, it's got such a heartbreaking and magical ending. And every time I read it, I just get something kind of new from it. And yeah, uh, Philip Pullman's a Norwich boy as well. So support your own. <laughs> yeah, certainly a classic. And the, the way things are going with the amount that people are cheating, I will be amazed if there's not a branch of Waterstones on this island soon. Just, just someone that's like a, <laughs> the ultimate cheat. But uh, it's been a real pleasure, despite the intense heat and the lack of any fans in our immediate surroundings. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful conversation, Mark. If people want to get in touch with you about any of the many things we've talked about so far, where would they go to do that? Okay, so deep breaths. Um, so uh, in terms of the things that we've talked about, there is automationintesting.com if you want to learn a little bit more about AIT and check out the courses that we have on there. Also softwaretestingclinic.com, which um, has details of all the different locations that we have and the hosts and when the next events are running. I'm on social media, 2BitTester uh, with a number two on Twitter, or you can catch me on LinkedIn. 
My own personal site is mwtestconsultancy.co.uk. Um, I also work uh, with Hindsight, hindsightsoftware.co.uk, and we do training in BDD as well. And I'm usually lurking around testers.chat and mot slack. I'm everywhere. <laughs> There's no escape. This is where I would normally ask what people have got coming up, but I guess that that is literally too many things to mention. Is, is there anything worthy of note that's not around these areas we've already t- talked about? Well, you say that, actually. I'm taking a few months off because I'm soon to be a dad. Um, oh, so I've, uh, thank you. I have a new journey ahead of me. Um, so, yes, I'm taking three months off for that. But before that, it's certainly busy. So we have uh, automation in testing in Zurich and an automation in testing at Testbash Manchester as well. And there's a few tickets left for those. And yes, I should be back in January. I think we've got an AIT coming up soon then, but details are to be announced. And then I will be at the European Testing Conference talking about approval testing. You mentioned on Twitter recently that you've just finished some new course material for the dojo. Any clues as to what that might be about? Well, yes, I can exclusively say that um, the course is Introduction to HTTP. So it's following on from the building blocks of the internet. We're going a bit more into HTTP and the different principles that make up HTTP requests and responses and how we can use that in our testing. And uh, yeah, that should be hopefully out by the end of August. Superb. Well, uh, it sounds like you've you've certainly earned some time off. Uh, Not that it's going to be a quiet time for you. (laughs) There will be more discussions about uh, sleepless nights to come, I'm sure. Um, But it's been been a, a real pleasure, Mark. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can get hold of us on Twitter at Testers Island. Our website address is testersislanddiscs.com. And we'll be back in two weeks' time, which is the beginning of our summer of Testers Island Discs. We will be out every single week running through to October, interviewing some testers who are going to be speaking at all the upcoming test bashes in Germany, Manchester and San Francisco. So lots more to come from us. I will let you go now, Mark, because we both need to regulate our temperatures quite a lot. Yes, I have a bathtub of ice cubes waiting for me. Well, enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in Manchester and uh, speaking to everyone else out there very soon. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. Ah, that's what that noise is. It's the thunder, the thunder and... The thunderstorms come. Hey! Open my blinds. <laughs> there is a weather apocalypse happening outside. It's amazing. Is there? A full oh. of We've got hailstones. Why can't <laughs> it come here? I want the, I want the storm. When's it coming? <laughs>